for Dynamic Deputies. Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Deputies podcast run by two deputy head teachers living on opposite sides of the country. Steve, it's great to be back after a long gap. Hi guys and thanks Russell, it's so good to talk to you again. We've both been extremely busy of late, typical beginning of the term, difficulties to get over and loads of work to do, but thanks so much to all our listeners for waiting patiently for our next episode. Now today it's just the two of us and we're going to be talking about a topic that unfortunately takes up a crazy amount of headspace for many teachers and leaders. We are indeed Russell and that topic is Ofsted. It's not something we mention very much because in reality it's not something either of us get particularly excited by. But the reality is that school inspections still have a huge impact on the profession. Russell, I know it's something that you've had a very recent experience of. Yeah, that's right, Steve. So my school was inspected in July. Uh, Four years prior to that, just before I started at the school, it had been given an RI judgment on the previous framework. So we were really hoping to change that. So our plan in this episode is for me very much to interview Russell about the whole experience. Russ, just to start, why did you want to record this episode in the first place? Well, to be honest, Steve, for a good few months, I've not really wanted to talk about the experience. And the reason for that is sadly, we were judged again as requires improvement. And that was a very painful outcome for me and my amazing colleagues. I guess the reason I've chosen to talk about it now is that I really do want to help anyone else who has an inspection coming up soon. And I'm so sure people will really appreciate that. Now, I know from our conversations that you have beaten yourself up more than anyone about the outcome, but it's really important to recognise the positives that came out of your experience too. Yeah, that's true. Um, In our case, Steve, safeguarding was effective, behaviour was good, personal development was good, early years was good, and our (laughs) our work on the wider curriculum all went down really, really well. Unfortunately, the inspectors didn't feel that things were consistent enough yet in the core subjects for us to achieve a good for the quality of education. And therefore, this automatically meant that leadership and management couldn't be any higher than RI2. Uh, So the inspectors did acknowledge that we've been on a huge journey of improvement, but unfortunately this didn't show in terms of our grade because of now being judged against a much tougher framework than we had been four years earlier. And rather upsettingly, Steve, they don't always seem to uh, write nice things like that in your reports anymore. No, they do not. And I can vouch for that as well, Um, (laughs) because those positive comments that are made during the inspection just don't always seem to make it into the report, do they? No. And I must say now, Russell, that just in terms of confidentiality issues, I know you're not planning on taking us through every detail of the inspection in this episode. No, absolutely not, Steve. And that was one of the reasons I was a bit cautious about recording this episode. You know, as I said, the outcome was very upsetting for us as a school, and I'm not going to be discussing every detail. However, I do hope to give people a fair view of what we went through and to hopefully share any useful insights that might benefit others listening. I should state at this point that my experience is unique to me and people should always take someone else's Ofsted experience with a pinch of salt. There are so many variables involved in any school inspection. Oh, absolutely. And they really are one of a kind to everybody, even though we can blanket Ofsted in such a way. Mm. It really is the finalities and the details are are specific. Yeah. Um, So thanks for that, Russ. And I do look forward to getting into it. But before we do, can I just ask you a question? what were your views about the current Ofsted framework prior to the inspection? Hmm. Good question. I suppose, Steve, prior to the inspection, I was actually pretty pleased about the changes that were made uh, for Mm. the 2019 framework. And though I've always 
been concerned about the high stakes nature of Ofsted. I'd mainly had good and fair experiences of um, inspections during my career, and I've had plenty of them. Thinking about the old framework, I have to say it always irked me that good results alone seem to get so Mm -hmm. many schools good grades, and that definitely wasn't right. So although this framework did seem tougher and more robust, I liked its focus on the broader curriculum, and I liked that it sounded uh, more evidence-informed. I wasn't actually scared of the inspection. I was keen to get it get it over and done with as I was very proud of the improvements <laughs> we'd made. I still am. And I knew our wider curriculum was, was really strong. Yeah, and I do remember thinking back to 2019 when I was facing a, an upcoming office inspection. You were really positive about the new framework mm. in the sense of what it entailed and how the wider curriculum can really be a focal point now mm. instead of those results. So my question to you now, Russell... <laughs> Do you feel the same after your inspections? <laughs> oh, I, I can't say I do exactly, Steve. Mm. My honest reflection, having now had some time to digest it all, is that some very valid criticisms were raised during our inspection. And I'm hopeful that our school will improve as a result of this experience. I also acknowledge that many aspects of the inspection were carried out really fairly and robustly. However, I do think there are issues with the implementation of this framework. For example, inspectors have been taught quite rightly to triangulate evidence in order to make their conclusions. But I think that some of the evidence that was triangulated was, in my view, very questionable. Mm. I also think there's still a very large amount of luck involved in the inspection process. For example, I've spoken to other leaders whose inspectors were perhaps much more considerate of the impact of COVID or who were more cautious in arriving at particular conclusions. I guess I also hope that I'd feel like we were really listened to throughout the process, Steve, and I'm afraid this just wasn't the case for us. It all felt very, very rushed, and we didn't always feel that our responses to questions were fully heard by all the inspectors. Again, in contrast, I know of many leaders who felt really listened to in their inspections. So this is just my most recent experience, and I hope my frankness doesn't unnerve anyone listening. I don't think so, Russ, and I really think it goes back to what you said about two minutes ago, that is your offset inspection. It doesn't account for how everyone else's went, but it's yours. And I think it's fair to say you had a complete mixed bag. Uh, yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> and do you know what, Steve? I'm going to be really frank. The whole process has really demoralised me, and I know many of my colleagues. I've always been driven by my own morals. I've been one of those leaders that's done what I think is right for the children, and that's what's guided me, and I've kept faith in that. Uh, We didn't try to play any games uh, over the last four years. We've stayed focused on what our school has needed. We've taken no shortcuts. We've gone right back to the basics. We haven't used any sticky plaster approaches to solving our problems. We've really improved our systems, our procedures at all levels. And I am very proud of that. And standards across the board are better than they were before. Mm. Unfortunately, though, it just wasn't enough for the inspectors on those two days. But as I say, it has really affected me. It has affected my colleagues more than I thought it might do. And don't get me wrong, Steve, I I still love my job. I'm still inspired by the children, but I do. It really makes me sad to say this. It has sucked some of the passion out of the role for me. And I'm hopeful that that will come back in its entirety. But, you know, a few months down the line, I do really still feel that, Steve. Mm. And I completely understand it, mate. And having been through my own very tough offset inspection a a while back, a few years back, it does take time to get over that and to get your inner buzz and your passion just to be relit again. It can take one little thing, but it will happen. Mm -hmm. 
So let's get into it. Yeah. And hopefully we can share some insights that will benefit our listeners. I think we should start right at the beginning. How about some advice, Russell, for that initial phone call, which is normally in the morning. Uh, for me, it was during an assembly and I had to rush out with assembly to take it. <laughs> But what does that phone call entail? Oh, isn't it a horror just waiting for that call? <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, I know leaders joke a lot, don't they, about, you know, getting to sort of Wednesday afternoon and thinking, oh, I, I'm through now and, you know, uh, that's it for another week. And, oh. and, you know, people speculate about the time of day. Apparently, you're not really clear until about two in the afternoon. People often say lunchtime, but I think it's a bit later. Um, Very yeah. true. Russ, can I just add, yeah, for me, uh, I was doing a celebration assembly on a Monday morning and I looked to my left and I thought, hey, is that sound? by the door business manager and she gave me a one look and you knew (laughs) oh i knew i knew what i was walking out of that assembly and it was that panic of can someone just take over the assembly because i've got an important phone call to make and yeah i knew walking over i thought Oh, the shakes have already started. <laughs> yeah, it's completely understandable, isn't it? And um, I think for the vast majority of people, it is very common to get that call on a Monday um, and it is common for it to be sort of uh, AM. So that was the case for us. Look, I think you have an initial very brief phone call where you can then say, can you just phone us back in whatever? And I think that happened for us thinking back and the head teacher just uh, yeah. bought us 20 minutes, half an hour. In fact, I think we asked for about 20 minutes and then we're given about 45 and that made it worse because we... <laughs> braced ourselves and got ready look there's just a few i won't get into the whole thing or this episode would be way too long but that is a i think it's about a 90 minute phone call isn't it steve and yep. um i think that's a far more important part of the framework or, or this framework than it was in the old framework the call was much shorter before mm-hmm. and you know we saw that as an opportunity to give some context to our school i have to admit i was a tiny bit disappointed i didn't feel like we had the chance to fully sell our journey and where we were at in that call in a way that I think I'd always visualized we would. It was very business-like and onto the next and practical. And so that was a bit of a disappointment, but um, nevertheless, a few tips. Um, You have anyone in the room that you want to at that point. We had all the senior leaders that were present on that particular day in the room. So head deputy to assistant heads. And that was really helpful because well, just because we've got such collective knowledge between us of the school. Absolutely. And yeah, why wouldn't you? And, you know, someone picks up something the inspector said that someone else, you know, didn't retain in their brain in that, at that moment. So you can have anyone in the room and they'll ask who's in the room. And it's good to be honest about that. Uh, it's good to have pre-prepared some really practical stuff ahead of that call. So we had um, sort of faffy things sorted that we knew would just reduce our stress on the day. So we had a kind of map of the school sorted. We knew where the inspectors would be based and uh, some of the things we'd have in the room in terms of some basic paperwork. We in our school have some things called five point summary documents where if there's a thing we've particularly worked on, uh, let's say assessment is kind of summarizes in five points what are the core kind of aspects of that? And we've done that for ourselves, but we knew that would be handy in an inspection as well, just to have that to hand. I don't think that's necessary. They didn't really comment on it, but it gave us a bit of ease of mind. To it have. makes you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. it wasn't a lot of extra workload in our case mm. anyway, but you know, just for real clarity there, obviously definitely do not demand specific paperwork, but yeah. the idea that paperwork is not needed is also naive. You definitely need some things for yourself there to, to hand. <laughs> um, so any, any, any bits of paperwork that you wanted to have ready for them and definitely make sure you've, you've got fairly up-to-date school stats around, you know, your levels of premium, your pupil role, SCN, EAL, et cetera, because uh, they, they, they will be interested in those um, figures as part of that call. Yeah. 
obviously if you've got some sort of self-evaluation then you might be asked for that i think we were uh, just a little caveat to that we had described ourselves as a good school in that Seth, and i think in their view we were a bit too rose tinted about a couple of things so a, a good tip for yourself really obviously you don't want to give them any freebies in terms of criticisms of your school but show with any within any self-evaluation that even if you're calling yourself good you've got these areas you recognize you need to improve and work on it just shows as a leadership you've already got that critical eye of your own school absolutely um, and that's that's a point i'm going to come back to steve for a few reasons yeah. absolutely need to have class timetables to hand for all the classes it is a nightmare point steve you got a reflection there make sure they're up to date and make sure that everyone uh, knows uh, that timetable has gone to inspector as it is absolutely and and we were saying to our teachers in the the months and weeks leading up because we were waiting for some time we were overdue make sure the ones on the system in this folder are the up-to-date ones because when that call comes and they say who can i see for history tomorrow say mm-hmm. i need to know who's teaching history at that time so yeah up-to-date time says we had those all printed into hands uh laid out sprawled out on the table i've got a photo somewhere of me and my assistant heads during the call it's like just a mess um <laughs> And just ahead of this phone call, do have spoken about and as much as possible decided what you would prefer to make your deep dive areas. Now, the key for this is to have lots of good curriculum areas, right? So have a good curriculum and then this this bit is a lot less stressful, okay? But the fact is in all our schools, there are some curriculum areas that are better developed than others and you'll know the one that really is your flagship subject so in our case and i bet this is the case for loads of primary schools history right we knew that was the one that was that bit further along subject leader was a bit more kind of rehearsed and practice and you know time with me talking about curriculum so everything i'd heard is that in most phone calls you're given quite a bit of say in deciding those <laughs> yeah. deep dives and where i'd heard that schools had been kind of told it was more where they were being really vague on the phone call and indecisive. So the inspector said, why don't we do this then? So go in sort of with a few ideas. So they asked us, is there a subject that you, you know, you particularly like to show us for your, your main deep dive. That's a bit more further on. So we said, yeah, we feel history is a real strength in the school. They said, fine, we can do that. And they said, and how about something quite different for the slightly less developed areas, which we anticipated they'd maybe want something slightly different. So we had a few subjects in the wings. We would have been okay with a few different, well, quite a few different things, thankfully, in my school. But PE felt like a good one and RE and music. There were a few in the the wings there that we were were happy to go with. And they were more than happy to go with PE as quite a contrasting area. And a little tip there in picking your in quotations, weak area or weaker curriculum area, it's ideal if you've got a subject leader that's actually quite strong, but perhaps they've just not had as much time to develop the subject yet or monitor the subject yet. And that's why they consider it weaker because when they come to have conversations with inspectors, they're going to still come across really, really well Mm. and be able to talk about curriculum design and things. But the reason they're saying it's a bit weaker is just actually they haven't had as much time to monitor and so on. So in essence, your weaker subject is also pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And it's someone that can probably deliver with a bit of passion about the subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love that. Okay, Russ. Now the call's done. Everyone's had a little flap, but the timetables agree. Yeah. Now in your case, it was a section five inspection. So yep. 
your timetables agree for the next two days? Mainly the first day and a bit of the second day. <clears> that's yeah. true, yes, because they leave a bit of... Um... Wriggle room. Wriggle room, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do next? Yeah, so you come off that call, you've got a, a sort of provisional schedule that you've been scribbling away and the inspector says they'll send you through the, the, the typed up version in just a minute. You've got a few things to think about, haven't you? I think it's courteous to let your colleagues know ASAP. Now, that's a hard one, isn't it? Because you don't want to send panic around the building. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that bit, Steve. Well, my question was going to be to you. Um, so I know I got staff together at lunch. The majority of the staff, I tried my best to get everyone together. Yeah. Now, I know some people do it at the end of the day, keep people back. What did you do as a team? Honestly, don't know if this was right or wrong, so I'm not no. sharing this as a. Uh, I'm not sure there is a right when as a model. No, <laughs> and I've always I always said to myself, oh, I'll stay really calm in that moment. But I guess you're so conscious, aren't you, that people want as much notice as possible, so that even silly things that have been irking them, like there was a massive rip in that display at the back of the room, and I've been meaning to yep. sort that. They would rather know that at eleven if we can let them know, so they can sort that over lunch and don't have to faff with it tonight. So personally i went round myself to pretty much every single class and just told people i don't know if that's the kind of thing to do or not i goodness knows steve but that's how i did it i went and let everybody know and you try and do that as calmly as possible but still Look, come on you mate, know. i think i i sent a message around saying can everyone meet in the staff room who's not on duty? so they knew <laughs> they know exactly so yeah. it, it was a pointless exercise and just saying look is happening tomorrow and you're so right everyone wants maximum prep time yeah for those tedious little jobs that have been on the back burner exactly exactly that pile of mugs that are in the sink that you now need to hide under the (laughs) in the government um no so let the colleagues know um i think it's important to for leaders to coordinate with their governors Mm -hmm. and there's two bits to that it might be that you want a little meeting a little catch up with the governors maybe on zoom or something after school to just give them an oversight of what's been said and you know any areas of focus that are already emerging and also just to figure out who's available for potentially a meeting with the inspectors which we were told would be on the second day in our case with any governors mm, so mm. yeah so sensible just to, to liaise with them um i think yeah after school it's it's really helpful to to liaise with any any colleagues that want to be there so we open that to any members of staff it's predominantly teachers and quite a few of the tas i think um, and I think it's important to go into that meeting just with a few kind of clear things because there's a temptation as a leader when you're overwhelmed in that moment to waffle endlessly for an hour and waste lots of people's time. I think we did all right in this bit, but it's all quite uh, fuzzy, Steve, plopped out <laughs> my memory. Um, just kind of things things you really do need to do tonight. I know there are lists online and things. We didn't actually use any of those. We just tried to make our own bullet points. Obviously sharing the schedule for the next day and if there's anything off that phone call that's obviously already a bit of a focus for them, of course, it makes sense to share that. I think it's really important and something I'd do even more of in future is really reminding people explicitly about the provision we have in place for children with additional needs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we do that so well in our school, but I think the inspection really brought home how much you have to really make that obvious that you've got that provision for all learners in place. And I'll come back to SEN in a bit. And just that thing of anything we say we do here at our school, tomorrow we've got to show it because there's a lot of talking that goes on in inspection. There's a lot of meetings and 
I can sit there as maths lead or as pupil premium lead or whatever and say all the right things. If they then go into your class and don't see that the thing I've said we do all the time, uh, then I look rather daft and they're going to question implementation. So that's really important. And then I think it's really vital that leaders and particularly subject leaders try and you know make themselves available for uh, any planning support for that lesson the next day just in making it watertight we don't want to give inspectors any easy easy criticisms you know and uh, do you know what no one fundamentally changed their lesson massively for the next day but definitely uh, there were conversations me and English lead had with people that just ironed out a few little creases or just gave people that bit of clarity or calm yeah. uh, so, yeah, uh, there's probably other things, Steve, but that's a little list for you in terms of things. Just on one the- thing I was thinking. Yeah. Of. Did you as a team let the parents know or the children? Yes. Uh, so the children, gosh, do you know, Steve, I- I'm not even sure. It might be that teachers spoke to the children about, you know, in a quite kind of a subtle visitors. way. Yeah, we are going to have some visitors tomorrow. It's going to be a real chance to to shine. But the email has to go home to parents to notify them of the inspection. So, of course, they know and let their children know. And you, you then feel quite on edge when you're out on that gate duty the next day. Are, they, are they, the kids going to step up and be really loyal now or are they going to wind us up here? But I, I can't fault our children. They did no. beautifully. And I totally agree. If there's anything that Ofsted does do, it brings your community so tight. It's like you're a team yeah. going out there to show the very best of your school community. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Yeah. Now, Russ, rather than traumatise you by going through every minute of your two days, <laughs> I know you've made uh, yourself a list of key learning points you want to share from the experience. Should we start now by going through these points one by one? Yeah, and this bit is going to kind of form the bulk of this episode, Steve. And I do have quite a long list. And it's I just kind of sat there and thought to myself, what are all the things that have just struck me in reflection, you know, mm. with a bit of time as just stuff that was really big or important or significant? Mm. And again, same caveat all the way through, might not be as big or important in every inspection, but they stick out from my memory. And just for clarity as well, I've not picked all these things out because they were dreadful. Lots of these things I'm going to talk about actually went extremely well for us. There's mm. a mixture of things in here that went well on those that didn't. I'll try not to give away too much uh, <laughs> which, which way for each one. But yeah, just stuff that struck me as significant and things are, as I sit here giving advice to people that maybe got an inspection coming around that I'd just maybe take a moment to reflect on and, and think about for your school. So yeah, I'll just go through one by one and Steve, please chirp in and clarify things if i'm not being clear um yeah Um, well do you go for it my friend so no brainer steve like the foundation (laughs) of any inspection is safeguarding isn't it and you know your single central record as a Mm -hmm. as a kind of head uh, school business manager needs to be spot on hopefully that's something they're keeping updated regularly but if they're not (laughs) now's the time to 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 have a look at that and and you know silly things remember that any staff member that's on on your single central record you know any individual could be picked up picked out or any visitor to the to the school so do make sure you've got all your your t's crossed and i's dotted there and russ it's worth pointing out that a governor should be overseeing this as well so if you've got a governor that is checking your single central register regularly have them notes out from visits absolutely so make sure that's up to date make sure there's a pre-existing awesome culture of safeguarding in your school you can't wing a good culture of safeguarding on the day it's either there or it's not so if you've got a bit of time ahead of your next inspection time to invest some time in making sure that that's at the heart of what you do at the school and a culture of good safeguarding isn't just knowing 
I report this like this <laughs> and I write it down here. I mean, that's important, that stuff, of course, but the culture of safeguarding, you know, looking out for those signs, creating a climate where children feel safe, where they want to talk to adults about the things that worry them because they feel so secure with the relationships in the school. All these things, if they're strong, will really glean in an inspection, I think. And make sure there's up-to-date training for all adults and really do think to yourself, a good question as a senior leader is to say, is there anyone that works in this building that I'd be really panicked by if they asked a random question about uh, mm. safeguarding or signs of abuse or, you know, is there anyone that would really, really make me nervous? Now, I imagine most leaders would think of someone that would make them a bit anxious. <laughs> but if you're thinking of numerous people now that make you need to call a meeting and give them some training and some clarity yeah. because the vast majority of staff in whatever role do want to do a good job and not let you down. But it would only take a couple of really um, inappropriate comments to really let down your, let down your safeguarding yeah. judgment. And can you emphasize that is all adults in that building, everyone yeah. in that building. So 100%. no yeah. one goes amiss. Yeah. So safeguarding is the, the base of everything. I'm not going to get lost in that. You could do a whole podcast on that. Maybe we will one day. Uh, I'm going to move on to special educational needs, which should be once again, an enormously important part of your school culture, your inclusive culture, but it is absolutely integral to the, the current framework quite rightly. And that is in so many levels. So I think it's important for Senkos to know that your world of SEN is a thread that runs through all aspects of the inspection rather than an isolated thing that's looked at on its own. There will be a meeting with the Senko that's looking at some specific things to the Senko, but actually through the whole inspection, everyone's collectively responsible for showing good inclusive practice. So your curriculum, is it ambitious for all children? If it's ambitious for all children, including those with additional needs, how do you help them access that? You don't necessarily have to have a fancy fancy answer that. It might be that you've got a really good culture in your school of scaffolding the learning for children in key ways, whether that be your use of visuals and the quality first teaching and all those things you might do in your school that mean that kids can access that curriculum, whatever their prior attainment or additional needs. So be clear on that and have some staple answers to that. So um, certainly when we were prepping our subject leaders ahead of time to feel really confident about their subject, we always made sure they were confident to answer a question about how children access the curriculum if they've got additional needs. Make sure there's really precise plans or whether that's in the form of an IP or a learning journey or whatever it is for that those children. I think that that's uh, definitely something that we came out very clear is is an important thing in this framework that there's precision around that but any adult involved in that child's education knows about that plan as well I think that's really really important um that good provision good SEM provision is evident in all lessons that they see in all deep dives you know because an inspector will walk into that room and they will spot that child with the additional need even if we've not pointed them out there they're in tune to that and they uh will look to see how they're accessing the curriculum and will be pretty on your case i think if there's any sign that that child is being let down not given the full support they need so that needs to be really hot in your in your inspection i think and i don't think that would just be unique to what we experience i think that's any in any anyone's inspection it's worth adding russ i don't well from my experience as well the inspectors can be in that lesson for such little time talking bare minutes uh in there and they're making that call instantly and you're right they're intuitive so they know where your uh, SEND children are they know where your 
your higher achievers Attainers, are. Yeah, yeah, they're they're totally looking and they're they're, they're making this judgment. Yeah, on a very little. Yeah, and you're so right about the length of time and lessons. I think in some of our deep dives, our teachers were quite upset actually about the, mm. the short amount of time some of the, the the time they spent in lessons, and you know that was raised as part of the process. And actually, inspectors throughout played down the importance of the teaching. Yeah, uh, in comparison to books, the things the children said, and so on. The the actual teaching seemed to just be a a kind of an added little bit of triangulation to either support or contradict other stuff they'd seen that they thought was almost more important. That, that was our experience. And totally. And I, I know from when, uh, I said in 2015, 2016, and I had an inspector there for like 45 minutes to, to an hour. And that's completely out the window because like you said, the focus is not on the delivery of the teaching because you can pick that up by triangulating anyway. Yeah. Um, they just want snippets of what you are doing. Yeah. I feel, I still feel mixed about it if I'm honest, because you know, we've mm. done podcasts about poor proxies for learning. So I know yep. you do have to be very careful going in. They could go in and see 15 minutes of what looked like very good performance. And that's not a good indicator of quality of education. So I get why they don't fully rely on that, but it's almost swung the other way so much that it's almost like really in the <laughs> yeah. seconds what did that give you so i don't know it, it is what it is but that that's definitely something that came across and those snap i judgments. think it can be a letdown for the adrenaline that is going for a teacher's 100 percent. and if you're not prepared for the fact that they might only be in for one minute and yeah. you think well i'm just mid-flow of something it is awful to have to think like this but if they come in, you've got to be conscious that well, they might be here for one minute. Is that child sat on their own at the moment? Are they having that support? Because this is the one minute they're in my little window where if you assume they were going to be there for 10 minutes, they might say, oh, for that 30 seconds, no one was there. But for another nine minutes and 30 seconds, they were fully supported. Yeah. So, yeah, just be conscious of that. Um, it's horrible to have to think like this. I hate this stuff. But yeah, absolutely. I'm being frank from my own experience. Moving on from SEM, which is clearly massive and and it absolutely should be, early reading. Uh, this absolutely is another one I can say with complete guarantee is a huge focus in any inspection and, yes. and it should be. Uh, this is a bit of the framework I like. I do think that there should be a big focus on early reading and, uh, you know, if children can't read successfully, then they can't access the wider curriculums. There should be uh, a lot of good stuff going on in terms of reading. Um, just from my own experience and i'm really curious i'd love people to let us know if uh, i'm alone in this and whether this was common for other people our inspector when they talked about early reading definitely meant early reading and writing and literacy and anything related to english did you experience that in the past as well steve yeah yes a hundred percent yeah even though it says early reading it goes it's not it's, it's beyond that isn't it yeah. i think that's really important and you know being conscious of Everything from handwriting to, yes. you know, when they are deciding if the, the your approach to early reading and developing those early literacy skills, they they don't just mean reading and decoding, etc. It's so much more than that. It's, it's the full package of literacy was very much looked at. And Even down to debate over cursive leads in and leads out, it can be so fiddly in terms of what they're looking for that, please, yeah, you're so right, don't, don't take early reading just as the early stages of reading is yeah absolutely steve and be conscious that when they're looking at early reading one of the kind of things to consider is if there is <laughs> any aspect of early reading writing literacy that isn't watertight or mistakes or errors or misconceptions that aren't addressed in any of those areas we've just mentioned 
that will be picked up on. So just be really clear on that. You need to have a very systematic uh, approach to teaching reading, quite rightly. Uh, you should have a robust program for phonics, one of the approved programs that you deliver with fidelity. I know everyone's at a different stage with that. And even if you've got a new program, don't panic. You can still do really, really well with that. But you need to be able to show that's being implemented very effectively. And as I say, with fidelity to the scheme, you need to also be clear in your own heads as leaders in a school about what you see as the progression in a child's reading journey so that you are forensic and clinical in identifying where certain children get stuck. Because when we talk about early reading, we're not just talking about nursery and reception year one children. They are also referring to children in year four who can't read yet. So they're at their early stages of reading still. So they might be older, but they're still a, an early reader, if that makes sense. So we were asked for books of early readers in different chunks of the school at one stage. So, yeah, you need to be really clear, whatever their age range of what block have they hit in that reading journey? Is it still at the decoding stage? Is it at the more reading fluency stage? Is it at the, I don't know, comprehension word level vocabulary? Are you clear on how you identify where that child has hit a stumbling block and what are they getting to address that? And that leads me nicely to the last point I wanted to make about early reading, which is that anybody anybody involved with working with your early readers or those children who are sometimes referred to in like bottom 20 percent or whatever they're sometimes called aren't they low retainers needs to be really really effective and on it and that is right isn't it steve yeah. but the reality in many of our primary schools up and down the country is those children are being listened to by some of the less uh, qualified members of staff that doesn't mean it's not worthwhile but if they're less qualified, how are they equipped to really effectively help that child who is one of your lowest readers to become a better yeah. reader? You can't just bang them in the corridor and hope for the best. And know, absolutely know that they will want to see TAs and any other support staff you use who read with children, reading with children, like on a one-to-one -one level. So you better be sure that they are doing that well day in day out honoring good habits and the techniques and skills or approaches they teach the children when they're struggling are coherent with your school philosophy because if your english lead sits in a meeting and says oh i don't know that we use this phonics scheme and when a child makes an error this is how we address that and then in the corridor a ta says or does something really different to that and uses a strategy that's not evidence informed or supported by the the scheme's guidance it's not going to not going to look so good so that's something i'd really advise people to be aware of that anyone can be seen uh, doing some reading a fantastic point there russ really well made okay so on from early reading i hope there's a few nuggets there that are, are useful just something around deep dives really and and I, this is i kind of have mixed feelings about this because i've never been someone that particularly likes doing things for ofsted but then there has been some things we did in preparation that definitely did pay off. And I do think me as the person that led on the curriculum development, spending time with subject leaders to really help their confidence in understanding their subject and the thinking by, behind their subject was time well spent. It's good for them anyway, because it just develops their expertise. But, you know, we had over a period of the last couple of years as the curriculum developed, had various meetings where we talked about their curriculum areas 
we did do things like practice a few questions here and there in terms of how we would answer them. And, you know, some people might be sitting and thinking, oh, that's awful. What a waste of time. You know, you're, you're, but I don't know a subject leader in the land that wouldn't have preferred to have had a little bit of a trial run before doing it in such a high stakes situation. So definitely settled a lot of our subject leads and certainly the ones that were picked for the deep dive to have done it before with me, to have scripted some responses to some common questions. There are some really common deep dive themes or questions. You are going to be asked about the progression in your curriculum. You are going to be asked about Sorry, I shouldn't be saying this so certainly, should I? Because I'm not working for us there. I don't know. You you are very likely to be asked about children's opportunities to remember prior learning. They've been taught at another stage and revisit that learning. You may be asked about early years, or you will be, uh, early years and how that looks for your subject. You may be, you will be asked about how children with additional needs access that subject. There's, there's various things. If you know, it's all out there online. There's a million one of those, those sets of questions that you can look at as a starting point for a conversation with your subject lead. Now, you don't want to script to the point where they can't just speak naturally, but it did really help our subject leads to have had some of those chats, and they absolutely nailed that and felt confident in that in those conversations, Steve. So uh, I don't know what your views on that are, but I think it's kind to let a subject lead who's a busy class teacher have had some headspace to practice. 100%. And do you know what? Two years ago, roughly, in all Facebook groups, leadership groups, subject-specific groups, people were posting about deep dives. What questions are coming up? And and there's some basic proformers of, it might not be exactly accurate, but it, it was there that it could give you some guidance. Now, naturally, you want to practice vocalizing your answers to questions. Mm. It's just like having an interview. No one wants to go into an interview blank or blind. So you look up what potential questions could come up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I know from my team at school, if I said to them, would you rather offset ask you this for the first time or would you rather a colleague ask you i know what they're going to pick you want to practice because like we said earlier everyone wants to do their best and everyone wants yeah. to shine so yeah. yeah practice makes perfect yep easy and a massive reassurance with all of this is you can have anyone in the deep dive conversation yep. you want people don't always realize that so as part of our inspection because they had um, some concerns at day one about at the end of day one about the core subjects they actually asked to see science as a shallow dive or some other horrible expression that was used um some cringy expression on on the second day to see if there were inconsistencies there too science was not in the kind of top three or four in our head of really really strong areas um it was good and i wasn't um terrified of it but the subject leader just hadn't had that many opportunities to do things throughout the last year or so because of competing priorities i hadn't done a huge amount of monitoring and things we hadn't looked at books in science quite as much so we were pretty nervous for that reason because it just wasn't one of our main things and i just sort of said to her look should we go in and do this one together because i put together the science curriculum in its loosest form uh, originally. And yes, I haven't done a huge amount of things with it in, in the recent months, but I feel like I could talk to lots of the points. Maybe we'll be stronger doing that kind of collaboratively. She was keen for that. And that worked really well. And actually that shallow dive went incredibly well and was a really dialogic experience between uh, us two and the, and the inspector. It felt like a, of all the meetings over those two days, that was one of the really positive ones where I felt 
I was really listened to and there was a real two-way conversation and I felt the inspector did a great job in that particular deep dive or shallow dive of clarifying things with us when we were looking at books and stuff and sort of saying okay so tell me why this is in here okay am I right let me just get this right so this is here because of this and this is what you do as a follow-on from this and she really did want to get it right and and get the correct information from us so I can't really fault the way she handled that particular uh, conversation and I like that the deep dive was or that shallow dive was looking at some books together as as well really so yeah I think preparation is useful but remember anyone can go in and if you've got a deputy or an assistant head or someone that's really led on the the driving kind of force of the curriculum development then they're absolutely allowed in there obviously you're trying to also show strength in your distributed leadership and that you've brought other people on and it's not all one person but you know we we got that balance right i think yeah and i well i know we're going to talk about that next point as a leader i wanted to be a on every possible task I could. And our delegated leadership team, we were scattered, but always in parallel with an expect because if they see something and you haven't seen it and they wish to discuss that or they bring it up to a point that you fundamentally disagree with or you're thinking, oh, hold on, what did you say? How can you say that? Yeah. If, if you're if you're in the in the room, then it's a lot of easier to discuss. Yeah. So I'm about to confess my deepest regret of the <laughs> the two days, Steve. So um, I've overseen the maths team for the last few years. Really proud of what we've done with maths. We had three inspectors and a shadow inspector. So it was four of them. And obviously the shadow inspector, you know, is not there to make judgments. But it's another person in a suit, isn't it? And it's it's yeah. all quite intense. The shadow inspector shadowed the inspector that was leading on the maths deep dive. So there was two of them doing that. One of them doing that, but another person with her. Over the last four years, I've invested a huge amount of time in maths and worked really hard with the staff on that. And they know how passionate I am about the subject. I know they don't want to let me down. A lot of those colleagues were there for the previous inspection before I was there, which absolutely shattered people. You know, when I arrived in the September of 2018, you know, that staff had just been through a really horrible, grueling inspection that was a lot less pleasant than this one, I think, and were on their knees and very low. And so understandably, four years later, they were really anxious again about, you know, they were proud and confident in what we'd done, but nervous too. And, and, you're, you're, you're juggling so much with this tired brain of yours, having stayed up to silly o'clock the night before. And they did say at the start of the inspection, you know, welcome to join them on any task. But when the, the deep dive for maths was going to begin, it was an w- annoying one for maths because we didn't have the chance to do the deep dive talk before the lesson obs where we did with other ones. So it was kind of the wrong way around in a way. So they went off to see things before I could talk about our approaches to maths, which wasn't ideal. But anyway. When she went to start that, she said, are you coming in with us, uh, Russell? And I just had this moment where I was like, oh, you know, it's the first day. It was the first thing they were looking at or this inspector was looking at like quarter past nine in the morning, whatever it was. If three of us walk into some of these rooms, I'm really worried I'm going to freak some people out. Reflection, mistake for the reasons you described if I had seen everything they saw, I could have been in their ears from the word go, not defending things that perhaps weren't as strong or anything like that, but just showing my own awareness as a leader of what they were seeing and my view on it too, whether that be in, in agreement with them in that kind of professional dialogue so they could see my own critical eye or whether I could provide really rational explanations for anything that was a little bit of a blip or didn't seem quite right. Mm-hmm. 
and I lost that opportunity for my own mistake of, uh, and it was an honourable uh, aim of trying to protect my colleagues from additional stress of having three of us in the room. But I think I let them down. I should have been there in order to see everything they saw. And unfortunately for me, you know, I didn't know what they picked up on and what they'd seen through that process. I had no way of knowing in that morning. And I was so busy with other tasks as well and running around and coordinating so many things. But when I then had my deep dive conversation for maths, we said everything I think we wanted to say about the subject. We spoke proudly about it. The issue was then I didn't know what was already niggling her about our subjects. And it wasn't like she said in that meeting, oh, but something I've seen this morning is this. Can you explain that? That wasn't the time for it. I don't know whether it should have been, but it wasn't. So that was very much. So I guess on reflection, I wonder now, did I say anything in that meeting that they were sat there thinking, yeah, but I didn't see that earlier. So that 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 worked against me, I think. And then it wasn't until because of just the way paths crossed during the day, I didn't hear from that that particular inspector all day that she had some niggles. You know, it wasn't that something was awful, but it was obviously in her view inconsistent. Mm. So I don't hear that until the feedback meeting at the end of the first day. So I think we've had a really good day <laughs> and meetings have gone really well. And on the whole staff feel pretty calm. And then we get told at the end of the first day that, you know, we have to inform you if we think there's a risk of requires improvement. And we do because of inconsistencies in the core subject. So I was mortified at that point and sort of, you know, felt the <laughs> blood run out of my head and, you know, go very pale at that point. And it was getting quite late then. And I was sort of like, right. And I think that was part of, um, you know, they have the team meeting where you're not allowed to talk over uh, to, you know enter into dialogue you're more about an observer to their meeting aren't you yes that's right you kind of listen into their the their emerging kind of and that's horrible because you're like because you want to get up and say hold on hold on, hey, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah. so so they were starting to talk about some things about about uh, some niggles with the maths i'm thinking oh gosh really where's that where's that come from you know and and and, and so on and that was really really difficult and i said at the end of that meeting once i was allowed to talk I'm just really anxious because I've heard some things you've talked about there that just don't chime with some of the things I know about math in the school. And they were quite blunt at that point. So we could have come on the task with us. And I felt really stupid at that point and maybe quite rightly. And I said, look, you know, I really would appreciate a chance to come back to you on some of the things I've heard you talk about because of my knowledge of, of some of the things in school. They said, I tell you what, and they were good. They said at eight o'clock tomorrow morning before we get going with the next day, I think it was eight o'clock, you know, you can have 10 minutes just to to pop in and, and say a few things. And I did that. And I, I felt like I clarified a few things that didn't sit right with me, but I felt like it was a bit too late. A little that, too late, yeah. And a bit of you sat there thinking, do I just sound really defensive now or clueless? And you're trying to balance not sounding defensive, but sticking up for yourself as well, which I think is important in an inspection. You do need to hold your own and, mm -hmm. and be proud of what you do. But you're, you're balancing that with not wanting to seem rose-tinted, which was something I think they did feel. Yeah. Um, and that, that was really, really hard, Steve. So I say to any leader, you join every flipping task you can, every book scrutiny, absolutely everything. And just last thing on that, and then you you chirp in, Steve, because of what happened with me not attending the uh, the walk, the learning walk, when it came to books, and I'll say a bit more about books in a minute, I delivered the books um, that they had requested. And they didn't, again, at that point say, oh, remember if you, know, you want to come in and join us, you can. And I was given no kind of reminder or hint and I, I ask of an Ofsted inspector if you're listening now please if someone's been nervous like me and made a mistake and decided not to join you on a learning walk please remind them do you want to join us for this part you're very welcome to because all should have had to say is that at that point and I'd have been in that room yep. and I, I just almost had this 
overwhelm of oh she wants the books off I go and I left her to it and again I could have been in there and I could have explained some of the things that she went on to notice in books that I felt there were rational and sensible explanations for a couple of little niggles so Russ I only want to add a short point really in that when we had our Austin inspection we were short-staffed ironically for that day due to illness and whatnot Sometimes you cannot get to every task. One thing I know that I regret and what I would have done differently is I knew my leadership team and I know what their strengths are. I know where they could develop. And one of them was a fantastic practitioner, possibly not the best at communicating everything that you would see in that area. I was looking at the timetable and I, I chose to go on another element whilst there was a conversation with the leader taking place if you mm-hmm. feel like well I, well I know i should have been in that room and i should have been supporting that leader and making sure that the ethos that everything that we wanted to demonstrate was demonstrated by a conversation as well as what they would have seen because you can see it and i wanted it to be backed up better mm-hmm. i made the wrong mistake in, in going to another uh, element of the timetable but if there is somewhere where you could have a slight niggle, you think someone might not be the best communicator, like you said, Russ, join them. Yeah. And strength in numbers is a fantastic thing. And it actually can make your own experience better because when you have a familiar face in the room as well, dialogue is just naturally smoother and a little bit easier. I think that's an awesome reflection, Steve. And it just it just strikes me. It's just so wild that... That that is such a good example of like the luck in this process that you know I yeah. if I just put myself in a different part of the building, you know, not that one thing wouldn't necessarily have changed the whole inspection, but it could have taken a certain inspection trail on a slightly different course. Yeah. 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 And and you know, I don't sit here doing this podcast thinking I love Ofsted. I'm giving you tips about, you know, <laughs> I, I I a bit of me is quite cynical about the process still and it, uh, it and it upsets me to have to sort of give these top tips if I'm honest. But yeah, yeah. I just for schools that are out there that really do deserve to have their hard work recognized, you know, if two or three of these things I say today land for you and, and go well for you when they could have gone the other way. Awesome. Like I want that for you. I want you to come out feeling buoyant. Mm-hmm. Moving on then, Steve, I've still caught a few, but I'll try not to drag it out. <laughs> Longest podcast ever. <laughs> Some, someone sat there. There's a few leaders sat there with a very long list already. Um, <laughs> look, I want to talk about surveys, not very, uh, long Steve but I, I it's not something we had done anything recently with with Covid and the madness of it well, I think with the last survey we'd done with the parents were was about the the remote learning to get some feedback about that so that was quite outdated you know this July but pupils staff and parent surveys hadn't done any of them for ages and I, I do think they're really important activities in a school kind of monitoring calendar or self-evaluation calendar but just just hadn't been top of our list for a while. So we didn't really have up-to-date fresh views of all those different groups. And pupil survey was asked, I think we were sent a link, but not really given much guidance about what they wanted, you know, who did they want to do it and how many kids and when by. And so we were suddenly told sort of quite late on the, the first day, oh, we need you to get your student survey done. So we, again, it's an example of something done in a panic, which could have been done better or a bit more smartly. And, you know, we just quickly go to a few classes, grab the Chromebooks. Here's a link. Can you get that on Google Classroom so they can access it? You know, boom, off you go. And, you know, surveys are all about perception, aren't they? And they tell a truth of an individual at a certain point in time. And, Uh, you know, you could survey one group on two different days and the response would be different depending on 
what kind of day they've had and so on. And I think they in themselves, I don't believe are an enormous weight in the inspection, but they absolutely are used as triangulation evidence. And they were in our case. And they're one of the things I still feel a bit uneasy about in that if they've already got a niggle or a, 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 a hypothesis that something uh, perhaps is not right or it is right, you know, either way. And they've got a couple of things pointing to that. And then the survey, you know, some comments on the survey, say from children or parents support that too. That was used to triangulate a couple of things. So my reflection on that, so that I don't get into the surveys themselves too much, is I would absolutely survey your pupil, staff and parents at least twice a year. And it's up to you, but we are for now just going to use the the Ofsted inspection questions, which are all out there and you can whack in a Google form and do your own thing. In fact, we did it with pupils about a week, uh, two weeks ago, Steve, before half term. And really interesting because you don't see your results in the actual inspection. So I've got no idea what they saw from our pupils. But we did the whole of key stage two in a two form entry school. So it's about 180 kids and really telling in some ways, you know, and we just had a good sort of 15 minutes at the start of a staff meeting where we shared that data and just said, look, any, anything here we should feel really proud of as a school, you know, like, I think the last question is, would you recommend this school to a friend? And, you know, we were really high on that. And that was really nice. But other things were food for thought for us. Like one of the things that wasn't as positive as we'd like, which is strange considering we've got a good for behavior and it is really good in our school, was perceptions of behavior in their own class and around the school were not awful, but not as good as we'd like. And then we talked about this. The staff said, why do we think that might be in our school? And then we sort of said, well, look, we work in a school with lots of vulnerable children, high levels of deprivation, additional needs. And every single class in our school has at least one, if not a handful of pupils who have additional needs and who sometimes struggle or sometimes need extra provision or do you know what I mean? And and, and, yep, and, yep. and might not to another child sat in that class look like they're perfectly well behaved. And so that was food for thought about you know, the conversations we have with our children about behavior in the school and that we do talk in a affirmative and proud way about the good behavior, but also that, yeah, do you know what? We do have children in our school that sometimes need extra help. And we do talk like this in our school, but don't they do well? Like don't our children do well? And, you know, for some children, it's that bit harder to make those good behavior choices, but don't they do really well with the help that we give them? And I think sometimes as a school, we do have to have those chats with children. So when it comes to such an important moment like this where they're having to talk about their school they they do have it through that lens of pride rather than being too quick to be negative I guess absolutely and you've spoken really well about pupils there I was just thinking whilst we were talking then parent surveys can be quite difficult to do so one thing we found and you can take this or leave it but to get a parent to do a survey across a year three times a year we tried to catch parents when they were in the school on mass. So I'm thinking on parents' um, consultation days. Uh, Yeah, parents' evening, whatever you want to call it. We had uh, the local bookstores in the the hall, and we had a bunch of iPads pre-set up. A couple of governors there with a couple of staff members who weren't partaking in the parents' evening and giving out the iPads with the Google form already on there. Parents fill it in, done. And you can get 200, 300 parents in an evening then. And then something else that we did that was used as evidence uh, in our Ofsted, actually, parent comment books, which are, are really good that we kept throughout the whole year. And 
any parent events where they came in at the end of a topic, for example, um, or on school trips, get them to fill their comment in the parent comments book. And nice. you can gather so many positive comments over time that, okay, that's not going to be taken purely as evidence in the parent survey for Ofsted. We'll still um, account for a lot, but <laughs> it can sometimes back up a point. It can sometimes yeah. contrast a point. But if you've got something there that's legitimate and recent, um, and by doing that three times a year in our calendar, we're just like, right, three times a year, we will find out what the parents really think. And you can pick up patterns uh, as well. So just get parents when they're all in the building. It's so much easier than sending it via email and hoping they'll be completed because we know as working parents ourselves, you can forget. Great advice. We're going to try something next week at parents, even where we're going to have a QR code for the uh, Google form link outside every Lovely. class while they're waiting for parents evening. And nice. oh no, actually, I think what we're going to do is print them on little slips and give them some as they come in. And when they leave, if they put that slip with their name on it in a raffle box, we're going to do a little raffle as well. So yeah. just, yeah, easy win. And I think it's about not wanting too many nasty surprises. I think you're right that whether or not Austin want to look at that data in whole, they might not want to. For you to have the confidence as a senior leadership team say, well, do you know what? We did a parent survey only a month ago and actually they were really proud of the school. And yes, these were a couple of niggles we had, but just having that confidence that you've got some recent evidence of your own, I think is useful. And I do think just be aware that the parents can click that survey link as many times as they want. (laughs) If there is an axe to to grind, (laughs) it will be ground. I'm going to move on from surveys, but I just think a good idea. I have heard both good and horror stories about staff surveys too so um again you don't want any big surprises on the on such a high stakes situation you want to get that voice fairly regularly from your staff and then uh a few other things i've still got quite a few but some of them are quickies so i'm going to whiz through a couple steve <laughs> i do think this is an advice that um was given to me by a colleague on twitter who said you know use the language in the good descriptors wherever possible i don't know if i was savvy enough with that if i'm honest steve and i, I just hate having to think like that if i'm honest but maybe i should have more ultimately inspectors have a rubric they have a framework they have to follow and they have to prove and it's the only way they can be fair is to have a framework and a rubric. Otherwise, it's all about their opinion. And I don't think we would want that either. But for that reason, we do have to really push and show that we are doing the things on that rubric. So using the language of the, the, the good descriptors is, is, is a good idea. Uh, another top tip, Stephen, easy one is just what really struck me during our inspection is that anything that looks really consistent, and I don't mean that in a cynical or um, shallow way, but anything that appears very consistent or is very obviously consistent really will help. So two examples in our school where that was really strong was our reading instruction approach, which is very heavily based on the Christopher Suchberg and, and how he talks about uh, delivering that with all his uh, little tips like finger freeze eyes on me and uh, all those little like strategies for that session that make it feel and look a certain way. Uh, we got that really rigorous and down in our school. It's really solid. And they could see within about two minutes of just whizzing through the corridors. Do you know, that's really consistent right across the school because all those teachers were using those same sort of behaviours for learning and how, how, how that session runs is very slick. Uh, so that really helped us. And another example where it was really strong, and this leads nicely onto our podcast next time with Andrew Percival on a behaviour curriculum, 
our behaviour curriculum was was really, really strong. And the children talked with pride about that. So anything that looks consistent and they hear regularly is, is going to really play into your hands as, as proving something in particular is good. Just hopping back to books, Steve, uh, you know, another reflection there is <laughs> we were told, and this is something I'm a bit peeved about, we were told by the lead inspector that when the uh, other inspectors are looking at particular areas, let's say the inspector was looking at maths, they will be identifying children during their learning walks whose books they want later on. So you don't need to pre-prepare those, etc. So I was like, fine, great. That takes away the stress of me having to grab books of particular children. So when they had finished their sort of morning of learning walks, and I had described that moment when she was going on to do the, the book scrutiny, which I didn't sit in on, I wish I had. I said, have you got yourself a list of names or anything? She said, well, I couldn't have, I couldn't have done that. I was doing the learning walk. I need you to pick. <laughs> so I was like, ah, all right. Okay. So what, what, what do you need? Oh, and then it was really on the spot that, that, that she described the, the mix of children wanted and left it very loose, so loose. I could have booked anything, but I had about a minute to get back to it. I knew that in about 25 minutes, she was onto her next thing. And that is the worst feeling. So now I'm thinking, I've got to walk right up the other end of the school because I'm on the opposite end of Key Station. <laughs> yeah. I've got to get you a selection of whatever was asked for. I can't remember if the, off the top of my head of books back to you from these certain groups. And I've got very little time to filter what will be good choices and not good choices, you know? So that happened then. So I wish we had thought more about what books we would grab if given that free choice, because I was quite struck by how much you could pick in my yeah. inspection. Yeah. And also another time that happened was when she wanted to talk to children with their books as well. This was a separate group. And again, same thing again. No, you just pick a selection of children. So I was like, ah, again, I think on that particular activity, she only had about 15 minutes. So again, I whiz up the corridor in a rush. She was clear she didn't actually want me in on that one, which I understand because they might act differently around me. So that's fine. So I go up the corridor and what's your first thought when you're picking kids for that is kids who are going to be happy to talk and confident. Yeah. But who knows the kids best? The teachers. So I'm nipping into the classes going, sorry to grab you in the middle of your English lesson or whatever. Uh, I need someone from your class who's going to be come and feel really happy to talk to the inspector about the math book. So I'm just... <laughs> I want to the eloquent child who's passionate about our school. Right. right. <laughs> so, so they're sending people to their doorways. I'm running up the corridor, grabbing the rest of them. I, I take this, this horde of children down. And as I'm filtering them into the room... I'm struck by the fact that I've just given her 10 high attaining children. Yeah. Because what, what does every panic teacher do who's in a rush? So they send their high attainers who are typically yeah. really articulate. That was a massive mistake because mm. what do high attainers almost always say? Work is easy. <laughs> work is easy. So really just, again, a stupid thing that mm. ended up really reinforcing and triangulating with a couple of other little stupid things that there was this image of a lack of challenge. And, you know, that was really hard for me to stomach because I, I just know from other times I've talked to children across the school, that's not, a, that's not a general perception. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. I've been reflective and I don't want any of my high attainers feeling like they get an easy ride. But I just think, you know, come on, like, I, I fed into that narrative by that selection of children, Steve. But Russ, the cynicism with me and having been through this process is that, this wide range, this really open choice of who you pick is actually hard. Yeah. It's really tough because <laughs> we're so used to 
it being prescriptive and um I want two higher attainers, two middle attainers, two uh, SEND, for example. And in a way, that's easier because you you formulate ideas in your head as to who can do it. Yeah. When you are given this free reign, um, like you say, naturally a teacher would just pick two children that are beautifully spoken and can really talk. Of but course, yeah. yes, we then don't get the right pitch. And oh, it's such a difficulty because... It feels a little bit mean. <laughs> a little bit mean. I agree. And it's all done in such a rush, you know? Everything's yeah. a rush. And I get that yeah. the inspectors only have two days there and it has to be really tight. And I just I don't I don't know that you, you can get a completely fair picture. But no. that's that's more a comment on the system as a whole. And I can't resent individual yeah. inspectors for the system as a whole. Pro- but they're yeah. worth it's a process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are these are professionals trying they're absolutely best with the the framework and guidance they're given and it's it's absolute anything i've said tonight that's come across critical is not personal to those individuals particularly it's just just a frustration with with the niggles of the system and anyway uh last couple of things steve obviously one thing that will help with your children really shining on on the day is that they're they're already used to talking to adults about their learning so we do do that well in our school and our children did do us proud in the way they spoke about Uh, their school and they were proud of their school so we do a lot of that and we involve governors where possible in coming in and talking to groups of children so make that part of your normal culture definitely personal development um, is obviously one of your strands that's something that went really well for us as a school I had a lovely moment where I knew I was going to have a meeting where personal development came up as part of the meeting and one of my colleagues, I can't remember if it was an assistant head or a teacher or someone said, Russell, is there anything I can do? I can see you're stressed. You've got a million and one things to think about. I said, yes, go around every teacher in the school and get them to tell me something special we do here for our children. Oh. I said, because I can't think of it all and I haven't got a list. And she came back about an hour later. Uh, I think this was the Wednesday night for the Thursday or the Tuesday night for the Wednesday. I've lost all track of when it happened. And this list Ah, I could have cried because it was everything we do do at that school that was beautiful. Everything from the pets we have in in the early years to the the trips we do and so on. And I had some of them on my list already, but there was a whole bunch of other things. Oh, I forgot about that. And, you know, I had this meeting with one of the inspectors where he said, so, so tell me about what you do for children's personal development. And so you'd talk about some of the more curriculum based things. Your PSHE curriculum is really important, by the way, really important. Your PSHE curriculum supports personal development. And within that, do make sure you've got things like consent covered. Make sure you've got things like mental and physical health, you know, really explicit with the children. Uh, that's just a quick thing that popped to my mind then. But your personal development list of all the other wonderful things you do as a school. I just said, can I just read you this? And I just reeled off and I, I almost cried as I was saying it. And as I said, it, he's almost crying. Like, it's, you know, there was a real moment there where there was a real recognition of the depth we go to, to make that a special place for our school. And I am proud that that was recognized in inspection. Just what an easy thing to do. Just go mm-hmm. around and get your teachers to add to that list. I'm pretty sure I can hear leaders right now writing that down and getting ready to do that yeah. that's so beautiful it's an easy win yeah last thing steve's obviously ducks in a row with with documentation i offset are very clear as they should be that they don't demand specific documentation but for me there are certain things that 
that made life a bit less stressful having to hand. I've mentioned those five point summaries of some of the key things we do, uh, you know, having obviously your pupil premium plan up to date and, and, and on the website and obviously website compliance is really important. I haven't said that your sports premium plan yep. um, and the reviews that come with those uh, all, all really important. I, uh, something I uh, stupidly hadn't prepped consider I'm an assessment lead, but did on the Wednesday night for my meeting on the Thursday was my assessment overview for the year as well because you will be asked as an assessment how you assess across the different curriculum areas so I, me just having that in a simple table just meant I wasn't trying to blag it and I, it was all fresh in my head Steve I have reeled off millions of things Ooh. and we spoke for hours I really do hope it's been helpful for people is there anything you feel like you've got to mention or ask me or clarify before we finish i've got more and i appreciate thank you for listening first of all because you've got so far for a podcast here but this could be the first and last ofsted podcast we do Hmm. russ want to know about the day after and the days after Hmm. not in totality but you know the inspection gradient your leadership team know this how did you guys show yourselves to the rest of the staff how did you handle any discussions about the possibility of wanting to know the outcome and then the outcome itself when it's known how did it all go for you wow i think it's a great question and yeah. you, you you kind of block it out from your memory because i'm trying not to be dramatic yeah. here but i can't describe the low of that of four years of all of you i'm not talking about me this isn't about me but all of you pouring everything into that job giving your all for those kids day in day out and just being told you require improvement and you know the the thing that hurt so much was this deep sense that do you know inspectors you've raised some things that are valid that do need to be better but my goodness can't you it's not their opinion though so it's it's, it's not what they can see it's a rubric they're working to but it just it's a system that has to try and be fair and be based on a rubric, but leaves leaders who are dedicated to this job thinking I want a different job. And I'll be really honest, the SLT sat around and we went around in a circle figuring out our future career plans. And one of us was a bricklayer and one of us was a tree surgeon. You know, we were between crying and cracking up laughing because Mm -hmm, you're in this mm -hmm. kind of hysterical, like, why am I doing this? And, And of course we know with time why we're doing it. We're doing it for the children, for the community, but you know, if Ofsted, you're listening yeah. to this, this crushes people. It absolutely crushes people. You know, I've worked in four schools. This is the most talented team of people I've ever worked with whose morals, whose purpose is so right. And those kids in that school do get a good deal. There are things that they we can do better on, mm-hmm. but this system and that label crushed us. And, you know, I think, Morale was really low. And I'd love to say to you, Steve, we went in staff room and gave people a stirring speech and we lifted the, we didn't, Steve. We went in looking like shit, feeling like shit and probably making people feel like shit. And I regret that. And I, you know, if my colleagues are listening, I'm sorry if if, if our, our kind of low mood affected you and didn't give you what you needed in that moment. But I, we were we were crushed. We were really, really sad. And you know, I was just numb, really. And my colleagues know when Russell goes quiet, he's not right. And I just went quiet. So is your best friend. <laughs> yeah, you know that. You've worked with me. Yeah. You've, you've noticed. Uh, it's never good when Russell goes quiet and doesn't have anything to say. It's, uh, you know, 
I, I wasn't angry, disappointed in anyone else. I was furious with myself for things that I'd overlooked or not thought of or things that I could have done differently. And, you know, it, it always comes back. The buck stops with you as a leader. And, uh, you know, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to deliver. And, you know, I'm so proud of my school and I wanted that inspection then to not get what I felt we deserve was was crushing. So yeah. it's taken real time. And, and people who have listened to the highs and lows episode mm-hmm. uh, was recorded that weekend, um, if you haven't already guessed. And, you know, in that episode, I talk about the fact that Steve, like the next day, if I had to go and give this talk for yes. students locally in Exeter, and I say in the episode, I felt like a fraud, you know, I'd just been told I wasn't good enough. And here was I standing up in front of these brilliant, passionate students telling them they were entering the best profession in the world. And, you know, a bit of me still believed that. And a bit of me thought, who am I to say this, given the week I've given and my, and my failure in my eyes? So if you listen back to that highs and lows of teaching episode, everything I'm talking about now is is so at the surface of my brain in that episode. But Russ, I think this is what Ofsted doesn't do. It doesn't account for the human approach within it and it doesn't account for the aftermath when it doesn't go to plan. And that's not to say... No one wants to be in a failing school. No one wants to be in a requires improvement school. No, no one wants to hear this. But actually, you're left to pick up the pieces from, and particularly when you feel like you are giving a really good deal to the children. I love. I mean, that's you. You all you wanted to do was provide for them children. You do. You do so well. So when you're then left to divulge into what what's happened here and process it all it's hard as a human being it's really hard to process and to think about and i am so glad that when you guys all sat around the table with ourselves mm-hmm. you laughed and cried about a new job that actually you're all within education because that's where you need to be because of what you mean to these children what you provide these children um and we can't let a, an inspection dismantle that mental well-being of why you're there because actually I know you went quiet for a good cut two, three months and and I wanted to grab you and tell you how amazing you're doing, but you needed processing time, you need it all. And it's making sure you've got people around you that can support you with that as well because mm. of what, what you give to the job. And hey, I know <laughs> I ignore the ears of my partner and I want to be education secretary. I've gone through process. I want to be an MP. I want to work mm-hmm. up in politics. I want to be, because I just feel change has to happen. And I, I know there has to be accountability for sure. Definitely. There does. does. It does. Yeah. And I'd never disagree with that. And <clears throat> it's all personal reflections of a process that we often have to go through. But I don't know, there's there's more that can be done and it's worrying. And I know there's a group on Facebook about leaving the profession that's got over 100,000 members. And you think, wow, there's about half a million teachers, 100,000 members on that. There's good eggs everywhere. People, talented people who are not in the classroom and not in the school that should be in the school. So this Ofsted word and what comes with it, maybe it needs review in the future. Yeah, look, I know my opinion, but I don't want to say it. Um, but going back to today's episode, though, you have been frank, you've been honest, and it's been amazing. And I feel like anyone who's listened to this whole episode 
Oh, we'll breathe. A sigh of relief because they've heard an experience and it might not be their experience that they get, but you can take a heck of a lot from it. So for me, thank you, because this honesty doesn't always come out and it's amazing to hear it. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Well, I've, you know, it's been slightly cathartic talking through some of it as I've mm. generally avoided for the last few months. Um, but uh, yeah, if, if, if this helps one person out there to have a smooth, smoother ride, then it's done his job. And uh, yeah, it's great to be back and talk to you, Steve. And as you said, probably be the last one we do about Alstead because we don't get overly excited by it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, next episode up, guys, we're going to be talking about a behaviour curriculum with Andrew Percival, which is so mm. exciting to us. And in the meantime, cheeky book plug, you know, our book is ridiculously discounted on Amazon right now. I think they're just trying to flog the last few ones they've got in a box in the corner of the, <laughs> their factory guys so uh get your hands on it while it's cheap you know we draw on experience but interviews we've had bits of research that we've read and things and i think it feels like a very human book and a nice way of accessing cpd in a way that's uh, not too overwhelming so if you like what we do you, you will definitely like our book too so just a little plug there yeah. Yeah. thanks everybody the dynamic deputies